You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. So good morning, New Heights. I'm Patrick. I am one of the pastors here. Um, It's great to see you all this morning. It's been a while since I've been in the pulpit, probably six, seven months now. Um, So it's really great to be back up here. Um, And and just to chime in on the Will and Jeremy debate, I'm with Will. I think today is Christmas Sunday, although I think Jeremy's a flip-flopper because he had mentioned it as Christmas Sunday this morning when we were talking. So I think he's just trying to get Will riled up before um, the services. So... Knowing them, it could, it could be anything. Um, but today we're going to continue in our, our short sermon series for, uh, of Psalms, um, his playlist. So today we're going to be in Psalm 97. Last week we had the, the pleasure of listening to uh, Pastor Siava from Ukraine preach from uh, Psalm 96. And one of the things he said last week really hit me. He said if, if, if God wasn't fully justified, he wouldn't be able to forgive Um, So as we go through today and as we walk through Psalms 97, I want you to keep that in your mind because two things we're going to focus on today are going to be God's greatness and then God's instructions that we see as we walk through these 12 verses. Um, And then one thing I want us to do too, reflect on last week. So if you were here, if you missed it, I'm sorry, it it, it was a really nice way to be able to go through service. Pastor Siava had us get together for a few moments. So we had seven minutes. He kind of pulled a Ukrainian-style sermon on us. We got in small groups, and then we talked about how Christ was working in our life. We shared our testimony, and we shared the gospel. And it got me thinking. I know it kind of made some people uncomfortable talking about what God was doing in their life, but as a Christian, that is what we are called to do, right? We're called to share the gospel and share the story of Christ and what he's doing in our lives. And if we as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ can't do that in a small group, how can we do that outside of this building? So just keep that in mind. Um, So let's read through Psalms 97. We'll pray and then we'll jump into the sermon. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darknesses are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord and before the Lord of all earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints, and he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Father God, I pray this morning that these words don't lie lightly on the hearts of your people. That God, these words regenerate somebody's hearts. As we come into this Christmas season and as we come into another Advent Sunday, and God, that as you prepare our hearts for this message, that God, you are preparing your people for the work that you have laid out before them. God, I pray that I decrease and you increase, and I'm hidden behind the cross this morning, and that you receive all the praise, God. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So verse 1 starts out with this proclamation. Normally with, with proclamations, you see, we, we, we become accustomed to it in movies, um, books. There's just all this fanfare. 
There, there's trumpet sounds. There's a, a huge to-do, but here it's simply a psalmist just between himself and God writing this. He says, the Lord reigns, but not just any Lord. Notice that he's capitalized it. In the Hebrew language, this would be significant. In the Hebrew language, this would be the word Adonai. So he's referring to the Lord as the supreme being or the supreme Lord over all. You can see it used interchangeably with an all-capitalized uh, Lord as in Yahweh, this divine name. So you see them used interchangeably here. But he's speaking of the God of ages, the God of creation. He's not just talking about a worthless idol, but he's talking about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And God, this should bring us joy, church. This is reason for us to celebrate this reigning, because what this is, this is showing us that we're not in life alone. We're not in, in, in life by ourselves. That the God who created us, the God who sent his son in human form to die for our sins, that he is still reigning over heaven, he is still reigning over earth, and he is still reigning over our life. Amen. That our God is not idle. He didn't just do one work and then stop. He is continually working in our lives, and this should be joy cause a joy for all of us. Our God is at work. He's been at work and he will always be at work until he returns. As we move on to verses two through six, it says clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne and fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. As I started reading through this, I was a little stumped at verse 2 when, it, it, when he says the clouds and thick darknesses are all around him. Have you ever known somebody in your life for a long time, and then you find stuff out about them or that, that just makes you think that you've never really known that person? It happened to me this morning when I was at breakfast. I was with Micah and uh, Will and had many breakfasts with, with them. I've sat back in the booth with Micah for countless weeks. Micah looks at me and says, you're a pastor here? <laughs> yeah, I am, Micah. Like, do I even know you right now? So like, it, it, it just kind of astounded me. But, you know, it, it brings about the realization to me that we serve a God, but but how much do we want to know about him? How much do we put into the effort of knowing who God is and who, what, his character? And I referred back to Exodus 19, 16 through 20 in this verse. And it says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very large, loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had ascended on it. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What we see is that there's this beautiful example of our inability to see who God truly is in our lives. You know, prior to Christ's holiness, we didn't want to approach the throne of grace. We didn't want to approach God at all. Even now, there's still things that keep us from wanting to approach him in our lives. 
It's in our DNA. We're people who consistently and constantly run away from the holiness of Christ and run away from our relationship with him. It's just who we are. It's how, how, how we've raised that's us as a human being. As we look at the second part of verse 2 and 3, what we're reminded of are the consequences of those actions in our lives. Reminds us that Christ's throne is built upon judgment and it's built upon righteousness. While he is a loving God, we also serve a just God, church. We also serve a God who is righteous in his decisions and with the way that he reigns and he rules in his government. And what we see is a glimpse of the government that Christ has, of his rule. See, as his throne and as his reign is not ran by an overly corrupt government, we don't serve a, a human being. We don't serve a president that, that can be prone to corruption. We don't serve a government that is prone to corruption. We serve an absolute God who has absolute power and authority over all of us, who has a perfect government and a perfect plan in place for us. There is no lobbyist lobbying for our personal interest to harm us or to give us a judgment that we don't deserve because God's judgment is ultimately the judgment that we do deserve because of the actions in our lives. But we're also reminded through this that, that God is a merciful God. Romans 9.15 says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We serve a God who gives the punishment that is deserving of the sins that we've shown, while also showing us the goodness of his grace by showing us this compassion and mercy to those that he chooses to show them to. Church, this should be a cause for our celebration, for our ceaseless worship, whether it is through prayer, whether it is through the spoken word, whether it is through song. This should bring us joy. We've done everything in our lives to separate us from our creator. We've done everything to walk away from the love that he, just, he, he shows us and from the grace that he has freely given us. But yet, the punishment that we deserve is hell, but he wants us to draw nearer close to him. And by the mercy and his great goodness, he willingly shows that to us. Spurgeon says this about him, about God. He says, Jehovah is an autocrat, nor a despot. Absolute power is safe in the hands of him who cannot err or act unrighteously. What he is saying that absolute power is found in our absolute king. That God will not act unrighteously, that he cannot err, and that he can do no wrong. Church, and we are called to trust that. This is why we celebrate his reign, is that we know his decisions for us, his judgment for us, is better for us than we could ever have for ourselves. The interest he has is better than the interest in the plans we have on our own lives. But he also says he will sit on the throne while his adversaries are at his feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accept, expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be in all. 
This is all subjects, all people, all idols. All who are enemies of our God will become subjected to him through his righteous judgment so that God may be in everybody, so that God may be seen through this. Verses four through six say, his lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Sometimes it's hard to know if we're on the right path in life. Sometimes it's hard to see if the things that are happening in our life are happening for a reason. If we're making the choices we need to make um, correctly, conversations are the correct conversations we're, we're supposed to have. And as a Christian, we try to live our life the way that we read in the Bible that we feel we should be directed to. We try to not lie, we try to not steal, we try to not cheat. Everything we do as a Christian, we try to do with the purpose of bringing Christ's glory. Whether it's through our words or through our actions in church, that is hard. It's not always hard to do, easy to do the right thing. It's always easy to do the wrong thing. We're put in tough situations. We're giving tough conversations. We're put in uncomfortable situations like last week when we were sharing the gospel with those around us. We're not sure how to lead. We're not sure how to react to those situations. It's because our trust isn't in Christ. Our trust is in ourself at that moment. It's because we don't fully trust the plan that Jesus has laid out for us or the path that we're on. But I love Charles Spurgeon take on verse five. When the psalmist writes, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth, Spurgeon says this, men cannot move the hills with difficulty they do climb them. With incredible toil, they pierce their way through the fastnesses, but it is not so with the Lord. His presence makes a clear pathway. Obstacles disappear, a highway is made, and that not by his hand as though it cost him pain, but is merely by his presence. For power goes forth from him with a word or a glance. Church, rest assured that the path you are on and the obstacles that are in your way are being delivered and being cleared by Christ. You may not know the path that you're on right now. You may have obstacles in your life. You may have struggles. You may be in circumstances that you have no idea how you're going to get away from them or get through them. But Christ is working to clear those obstacles in your life, whether you see it or not. Verse 7 through 9 say, And all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. In these three verses, we see the greatness and the goodness of God in the fact that we see our shamefulness in the idols that we have in our lives. I know at one point in my life, I focused more on my career than I did on my path and my walk with God. And looking back on it, that was, that was a hard time in my life because conversations that I was having with, with my wife, we were bickering, we were arguing because I was straying away from my Christian walk. Relationships were hard to have. I was missing church on Sundays. I wasn't consistently going. 
It's because I was more focused about moving forward in my career and how much money I was going to make instead of giving glory to God for putting me in that career in the first place. My work had become an idol, and it was separating me and pulling me away from the relationship with my creator. But through the goodness of God, I was able to see, and you were able to see, church, that there's shamefulness in those actions. And it might be your career. It might be a porn addiction. It might be an alcohol addiction. It might be the sin in your life that you are not willing to talk to somebody about. But there is shamefulness in your life as well. We should be ashamed of what we are allowing ourselves to turn our attention away from God to. Because as Christians, our full attention should be focused on that of our creator. So church, my question for you today is, what is the idol that is keeping you from your relationship with God? What in your life can you look at and be ashamed to say is in your life? Even if you don't want to bring attention to it to others, it's there and you can talk to God about it. What's causing your joy in Christ to subside? And what's causing you to not want to read your Bible, to pray, to come to church on Sunday mornings? There's a lot that goes on in our lives and our communities. But whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever's pulling you away from Christ right now, trust me, there's nothing so bad that God will not work through it and draw you back to him. And he will see glory through all of that. Because God's goodness and his righteousness and his glory should be seen in everything that we do. Because God has placed us into certain situations for a specific reason. We may be dealing with something right now so that we can be placed into a conversation with somebody else that is struggling just as hard with that specific sin. But the fact is that we are a worthless sinner. We are a jacked up sinner that has been drawn from the darkness and brought into light so that we can exalt Christ through the moments in our life that bring him those glories. We serve the most high being in Yahweh. We serve the one true living God who is above all and who is in all. In Christ and church, our actions should be Christ-like. The goodness of God and the greatness of God should be seen in everything that we do because we he is working through us. And as we go into the last three verses, I know the sermon's a little quick, but with the children up here, I didn't know how long they were going to be up here, so I, was, I tried to shorten it a little bit. But we see God's instructions for us. Verses 10 through 12 say, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints, and he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, all you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. There are very specific and clear instructions written and inspired by God here. Anyone who loves the Lord must hate evil. Church, this is hard for us, because we are people who like things. We are people who, who like big bank accounts. We are people who like sin, we are people who love things that draw us away from God. As a Christian, this is probably one of the hardest things that we have to go through, is to fully accept God without fully accepting sin in our life. 
loving God while also hating the evilness that's in the world. So my question is, when was the last time that you were truly upset with the sin that is in your life? When was the last time you became mad that you did something that sinned against God? When was the last time you became angry at something that you've done that you knew was wrong in the eyes of God? Truly loving God, church, means to truly be angry at the sin in your life. It's very clear. We have to hate it. What I mean by this is that you must be so angry at your sin that you realize the impact that it's having on your relationship with God, how it's driving your life away from him, and it's driving you to the point of repentance. Church, I want to be very clear about something. If you sin without repenting, your love is not found in Christ, but it is found in the sin that you continually commit. It's easiest for us as Christians to be loving. It's easiest, easy for us to be caring. It's easier for us to jump out and do food drives, clothing drives, to give food to people. It's easy for us to make Christmas cards. It's easy for us to hide the sin in our lives because we are drawn to want to do something good to hide it. It's easy for us as Christians to do that but it's not as easy for us to call out the sin that we have. But God is very clear that if we love him, then we will hate it. And as Christians, we should want people in our lives, we should be bringing people in that call out the sin in our lives, that see the evilness that we have and say, that's not right. That they're willing to check us on it, hold us accountable. One of the most important people in your life that you can have is a Christian friend that holds you accountable to the sin that they see in your life. I'm blessed to be on an elder team that does this. As we gather for meetings once a month, first thing that's asked is what sin are you struggling with? Have you disqualified yourself this month from being a pastor? That's hard because no one wants to admit that, right? I'm not struggling with sin. I'm a pastor. Listen, we're just as much as jacked up sinner as everybody else, right? But we have people in our lives who are willing to call us on it and hold us accountable to the sin that we have. Because to preach the gospel, you have to love God more than the sin in your life. And when you love God, you put godly people there because they're willing to call for it. And the good news is that if we love God and we confess our sin, we're reminded in this text that there's a perseverance of the souls for the saints of his people. We're promised an eternity with him. There's a theological belief in Calvinism or Reformed theology that you see an acronym called TULIP. And the P stands for perseverance of the saints. And basically what this means is that once you become a Christian, that once your soul has been saved, the Holy Spirit has indwelled itself in you and you've been fully regenerated, there's nothing you could do to lose your eternity. There's nothing you could do that would make God hate you to the point of casting you to hell. No matter how much sin you have in your life, how hard you try, 
There's nothing that can be done because God has already called you to himself. We see in John 10, 28 and 10, 29, Jesus says this. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. Church, that is good news. It is good news that no matter how much we struggle in our lives because it is going to happen because there's only one person that had ever been perfect and it is not me or you. It's the person that we preach about day in and day out. And Pastor Will, I know he, this, he said we, sh we should make today and next Sunday about Jesus, but we should make every day about Jesus. It should not just be the Advent season or on Sundays, but it should be from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep every single day. Everything we do should be because of Jesus Christ. Because he reigns over us as Lord over all. It's what the Advent season is about. It's what Christmas is about. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, we see that we are called to an eternity with Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. And as a result of the indwelling of the Spirit and the love that Christ has for us, we see in verse 11, we sow light into the dark world that we're living in. We may not even be realizing we're doing that. We may not be realizing that the conversation we just had with someone was a conversation that saved their life because Jesus had placed us into that specific moment. We may not realize that just sitting with someone and comforting them was what they needed that day. It was because Christ is working through us, through the words he gives us, through the people's lives he places us in, through the people he places in our lives. We're being used by God for the glory of God so that he can plant seeds in people, so that his people will be drawn to him and they can have the grace and the mercy freely given to them. And then finally, we see we are called to give thanks to his holy name. Or if you're reading the KJV, it says give thanks in remembrance of his holiness. Church, we have much to be thankful for. The joy that we see in our lives because of the holiness of Christ is insurmountable. Everywhere we look, we can see his holiness. There isn't an area of our life or an area of the world that hasn't been touched by him. But how often do we remember that? How often do we remember the life that we once lived versus the life that we have now because of what Christ has done for us? How often do we remember the family that we have, that we should be thankful for? How often do we remember the church family that we were given that we should be thankful for? Or the freedom that we have in, through the grace of Christ, the perseverance of our souls so that there's nothing we could do to be drawn away from our eternity with him? How often are we thankful that we have the ability through the death of Jesus to approach his throne of grace? All too often, we overlook these things. We lose our focus. 
How often do we realize that everything we have is because of him? When was the last time you took the time to actually thank him for that, to pray? When was the last time you got on your knees and thanked him for the life that you have? And sometimes it gets difficult, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's very difficult to be thankful for the things you have because of the things that are going on in your life. In the darkness of our lives, in the darkness of the world, it's real hard to see the light escaping through. These last five months have been hard for me. They've been very eye-opening um, to the point to where I, I could see that I wasn't as grateful as I should have been. Five months ago, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Never thought and never knew if I'd be behind a pulpit again. Never knew if I'd be able to preach behind the pulpit again and share the word of Christ. Kind of puts things in perspective. It allowed me to become thankful in a way that I'd never been thankful for. But even in the midst of our battles and our struggles, we have triumphs and we have successes. And through those successes, we should be thankful. So church, this is my prayer for you as we close out our Christmas Sunday. Is that through the darkest times in your life, in the times that it seems God is far away, that it seems like you have no one to turn to, that you remember the joy that God brings to your life. That you have become ever thankful for him and his son, Jesus Christ. That you are thankful that no matter the circumstances that you are facing, the life that you previously lived, the sin that you're struggling with, that you are ashamed to talk about, the sin that you're having a hard time repenting from, that you see the glory and goodness in your life of the Most High King, and you are giving thanks to him for that. That as we finish another Advent Sunday, that you live your life in a way that is honoring to God, not honoring to yourself. Advent, simply put, is we're, we're waiting on a return. 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for the return. They were waiting for a king. A king who they, they thought was going to come down and have an earthly reign and save them. But what they got was a baby wrapped in clothes in a manger. It was God in flesh who took the shame of the world upon himself, who took the darkness away from the world, who took the sin of the world as he hung up on a cross. What they got was a baby who went on to live an absolutely perfect life and then took on the weight of the world on his shoulders so that we could be here 2,000 years later on an Advent Sunday, thankful and joyful for the reign that that king still has. And now we await his return, that as he comes with trumpet sounding, that he is going to take us to glory, that we will cross over into eternity forever. But church, 
Through Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Through his conquering of death. Church, we have so much to be thankful for this Christmas season. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.